Hello and welcome. Welcome everyone back to Discussing Trek. Today we're going to be reviewing episode two of season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Ad Astra Per Espera. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies. Started with none other than Cal Jones. How you doing, man? As always, I am happy to be here and I can't wait to talk about this episode. So yes, happy to be here. Yeah, man, it should be an interesting discussion. So can't wait to dive in. And also on the podcast, we have Larry Irby. How you doing, man? I am here, man. Sick, but here. Hey, well, we're glad you have graced us in this place with your face. So we, <laughs> we're happy you made it anyway. And of course, what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail in addition to talking all things Trek. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel to all decks. We got a bit of news this week in the Star Trek world. Not good news, but we can talk about it. So as presented to us by Variety, there are several shows on Paramount that are being moved or and or canceled. The game, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, Star Trek Prodigy, which we're concerned about, and Queen of the Universe have all been canceled at Paramount+. Plus. In addition, all four shows are set to be removed from the streaming service in the coming days. And as far as our friend Tasha has reported, Prodigy has already been removed from Paramount+. Plus. What are you guys' thoughts on this? And we can dig into some of the other details, but thoughts on one of the flagship, what I considered anyway, the flagship shows on Paramount+, Plus, Star Trek Prodigy, one that we all love, is being removed slash canceled. Any thoughts? M-O-N-E-Y. Is it that simple? I really, really, really think it is. I mean, I'm, you know, I would love to go left, right, and center with it. But if you look at all these other streaming platforms, whether it's Max, whether it's Disney Plus, whether it's this, you know, I think this is just symptomatic and part of the entire what I'm going to call an implosion a little bit of streaming services, cost cutting. My thought is a little bit different. I feel like there's something else going on here because even when we've had other shows get canceled across many streaming services, they've never just removed the content altogether. So I just feel like there's something going on. Maybe we haven't heard or something because, I mean, Netflix cancels shows all the time. Even some shows they don't particularly own, but they don't remove the content. It stays on there at least for a little while. Yes, especially when you're talking about their originals. Now, I know for HBO Max, they have removed some stuff from time to time. But when you're talking about an original show that was created for that streaming platform, it just feels kind of weird that they would, A, take off one of their shows that's under their marquee brands, Star Trek, first of all. Albeit it's geared more toward kids, but we might see that a little bit differently. And then secondly, shopping it out to another service completely. The fact that they're pulling it off just worries me a little bit about the future of Star Trek. So with Disney Plus, there are two shows that they have removed from the Marvel brand, which is Runaways and Cloak and Dagger. I, I believe both of those have been removed, and they were co-produced by Hulu for Hulu Originals, so they didn't own the entire property. And I can argue also that Netflix, for a while, had the Marvel shows of their own. Yeah, that's true. 
the difference between, say, Star Trek Discovery and even Lower Decks is with Prodigy, it was a co-production by Nickelodeon, correct? Yeah, but Nickelodeon is also owned by the the Paramount machine. Ah. But I, I totally get your point. Picking up a few comments real quick. Tasha says it was a tax write-off, getting back to the money part of it. And when Grace says Disney Plus is doing the same as you just said, Cal, they canceled Willow and are removing it. So, yeah, it's just kind of strange that we've kind of pivoted in the streaming world so far. And to see them just take these off completely is just a shame. And again, getting back to the heart of why we love Prodigy so much is that it's great for people getting into Star Trek and it hits at the heart of everything that we love from Star Trek. And I brought up this point in in Tasha's chat earlier, like, does this mean we can't even use those characters anymore in anything else? Do we talk about the, the, the crossover that's coming up in Strange New Worlds with Lower Decks? Does it mean we can never see Dal pop up or Gwen pop up in any other show? It's just, I don't know. I'm kind of baffled by the whole thing. Speaking of baffling, I want to mention this real quick because we've mentioned Lower Decks a couple of times and I've kind of danced around it. And, you know, anybody that's listening to this knows that I'm not a fan of Lower Decks, but I may give it a, a second try and I'll tell you why. We got some feedback most recently today from a friend of mine who I have very high opinion of his content that he's created, a gentleman by the name of David S. Deer from the Ninth World Journal, as well as Oz9, amongst other things. He is actually a big fan of Lower Decks. And he was asking me today what my opinion was, couldn't remember. And Uh I just had to be honest and said, (laughs) look, I don't like it, but please, I respect your opinion. Tell me, why do I need to like it? So I can't wait to hear what he says and you know, and I may have to give Lower Decks an, another go. I like Lower Decks. I, I just do. I take Lower Decks for what it is. It is basically a satire of Star Trek, you know, with everything added. And I know they say it's canonism, whatever. It's just a funny take. Some of the stuff they do on the show is just hilarious because they make fun of themselves, but in a good way. Yeah, um, I don't know if I should comment. <laughs> For me, I, I mean, I've, I've grown to love these characters more and more. And even to the point to where we're getting with Strange New Worlds, I think it's kind of going to change my opinion of these characters just seeing them in live action. Even the, the small little clips we've gotten already makes me like these characters a lot more. So I'm always looking for the good nuggets that we get out of out of our lower decks. So, I mean... I'm here for it. And well, let me ask you guys this. Do you feel it's just way cheaper to make a Lower Decks versus a Prodigy? I would think so. Just from the simple fact of, you know, 2D animation and computer animation. I think. Yeah. Just the the medium that it is. I don't know, though. Nowadays with computers, I mean, you wouldn't believe they say, take, say a show like South Park. South Park is made with like insanely powerful computers, even though it looks incredibly simple. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what it is on that, you know, on that front. Uh, hello to Justin in the chat. And also Wingrace says that there is a Prodigy video game. I know what you're referring to. I almost was going to download it or buy it or whatever. And I saw some of the reviews on Steam and I just said, ah, I'm just pass on this one. And I know you're a big Star Trek Online fan, Larry, 
But I will say Star Trek Elite Force is the greatest Star Trek game ever made. No, no, sir. No, sir. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, oh, yeah. I did want to plug um, David S. Deer's podcast real quick. Again, as Cal mentioned, it's called Ninth World Journal. It's the adventures of Johnny Way, a long nano who likes to jaunt about. <laughs> I know I'm getting part of that tagline wrong, but it's, it's a very, very fun podcast a narrative-driven podcast. You should definitely check it out. And we're going to move right along to our review of Strange New Worlds at Astra Per Aspera, which was written by Dana Hogan and directed by Valerie Wiss. Commander Una faces court-martial along with possible imprisonment and dishonorable dismissal from Starfleet. In her defense is the hands of a lawyer who's also a childhood friend with whom she's had a terrible falling out you know, things happen when you move to the other side of the tracks, I guess. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Absolutely. So for everyone listening, if you have not seen Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 2, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. Eddie's before you sprain something. The spoiler one has been dropped, and like always, we go right back to Mr. Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us this week? Okay, so here's what I have. One question for the both of you. Are either of you familiar with Starfleet Code 8514? <laughs> I am now. <laughs> I think we all are. Indeed. Larry, let's get your high-level thoughts of this episode, sir. What did you think? Uh, well, I'm just going to be straight up. Just loved it. Just loved it from top to bottom. I just loved it. It's one of those uh, episodes that flowed seamlessly to me. And I know all kinds of people got different opinions. As you said, this is my opinion. I absolutely loved it. I got no problems with this episode whatsoever. Mr. Jones, you have additional thoughts? I do. So I will say everything that Larry just said, but I will also add, this is the first time in a Star Trek, new Star Trek episode, that I got goosebumps that weren't nostalgia. It was goosebumps because of something new that was really freaking good. So I very much enjoyed it. What about you? Courtroom intrigue, playing against the very, some of the foundations of what Starfleet stands for. Holding up a mirror, as you like to say, Mr. Jones, holding up a mirror to society, to ourselves. I think it was a well-played episode. Uh, just uh, how this Illyrians can be analogous to some of the things that are going on or have gone on in our world. Some of the things we face, some of the bigotry. We talk about being preached to and me and you have particularly had this issue with Doctor Who lately. If it just feel like they're preaching to us. I feel like in this episode, it was done in such a way that I was never taken out of the story. I was always in that world, but I could look back at it after I've seen the episode and start to think about a little bit more how that plays on the things that are going on in our world today. That being said, like I said, I was deep, deep in the episode and I just thought for these things that they've been setting up a while with Una, that was the end of last season. That was a big episode last season and we're just now bringing it around and getting more about this character that we don't know much of anything about. So I, I just think it was wonderfully done. 
Let me add something real, real quick to what you just said, kind of piggyback off of it. I agree with you that it did not take you out. You can go back and you can see the themes that they were trying to talk about. What I find really interesting in that is we could have watched this in 1968. We could have watched this in 1988. We can watch this in 2018 or 2023, and it still have some kind of resonance, be that a good thing or a bad thing, in the date that you are living in. And I think that in itself is good writing. Well, let me ask you that with what you just said in mind. Do you think there was a moral of the story? What was the theme that jumped out at you the most for this episode? Two things. One, be who you are, number one. The other thing is it makes it clear, and I use quotation, you know, air quotes whenever I say clear, being who you are comes with fear. It also Mm. comes with consequences, and there could be good consequences, bad consequences. It's all in how it's uh, perceived and done. And it's the other thing would be, regardless of what it is, if someone wants to use whatever as a weapon, they're going to use it as a weapon. Those were my two themes. Any thoughts on that, Larry? Absolutely. I mean, you see things going on in this day. I mean, they they were made it bluntly clear, you know, that it's about not everybody is the same when you judge any group of people, you know, don't no matter their skin color, their sexuality, whatever, you will undoubtedly make assumptions. Some of those can be very negative assumptions, you know, just like she said, you know, the way the Illyrians you know, the way they are. I mean, just look back at the, um, we were talking about that, the augments mm-hmm. in Tasha chat. And I said, just because somebody is augmented does not mean they are automatically going to be Khan Noonien Singh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or any of those people. And, uh, you know, just basically, and, you know, I actually went through something like that not long ago with a coworker who was a very good person, that co-worker, thankfully, nothing got too serious, but was harassed about who they were. So as you said, this is very, very hits close, very, you know, close to home. So we talk about Starfleet being that beacon on the hill as this utopian society that we want to get to one day. But I think for me, what this episode shows is that even though something can be great, this organization that we seen all these years on TV, we just think it's gr- the greatest thing ever. But it also shows that they can be great, but still be flawed. Thoughts on the portrayal of Starfleet in this episode? Bureaucracy, for one thing. It's easy to get tied up in these are the rules and these are the regulations and this is my job to enforce these. Case in point, the character who was the, I will call her junior uh, prosecutor, because you had the other guy that I'm sure we'll talk about as the lead prosecutor. But her character was not a bad character. She did not have bad ulterior motives. In her eyes, what she was presenting at the very beginning was, in her eyes, from the law, the best that she could offer. So I guess I think it, it it opened the door a little bit to say Star Trek is not the shiny thing on the hill that sometimes that 
it's portrayed to be. Just like anything, there's things that need to be looked at, reevaluated, evaluated, and Lord knows how many times have they said prime directive blank the the prime directive. Yeah. Wintergrey says in the chat that this also seems through this episode that is the first time anyone is bothered to challenge the status quo here. So, well, that's kind of the thing I want to get into as well as far as rules, laws on the book or orders. <laughs> we would love an order or a law to be so clear that there's never any gray area. But we see clearly here that there may be room for gray area. And quite frankly, they brought up something. I'm glad they touched it on it in this episode. And the focal part of the episode actually is the prime directive. We've had so many conversations about why do we have this prime directive? And it's pretty much always broken, especially in these tough, what I call no win situations or or tough decision situations that we have in Star Trek. Larry, how do you feel about them using that as an example that, Sometimes it might be captain's discretion. It's not so black and white. It's mostly a gray area. Well, the prime directive is a great idea, but it's just like we said, it's flawed because sometimes situations call for you. to. I mean, it's like um, the TNG episode where they're on this planet where all the people jog everywhere they go for some strange reason. But that's a but it's not one of my favorite episodes by any stretch. But, you know, they were going to kill Wesley because Wesley accidentally fell into some bushes yeah. in a little garden thing. They're like, yeah, we're going to kill him. Hey, it'll be painless. Like, whoa, whoa. Time out. Time out. Number one, you ain't killing my future baby mama. OK. <laughs> what? In Picard, Beverly. Oh, OK. OK. okay. <laughs> You can't kill a kid, man, you know? So that was funny to me uh, just because it was so ridiculous. Number one, it was ridiculous that these people would want to execute the kid over something like that. But, you know, Picard, there was no way Picard was going to let them execute Wesley, you know, the son of his, one of his friends who had died. There's no way that was going to happen. But the prime directive, how many times have we broken it? Don't answer that. A trillion. Yeah. And again, it's also just a good example. That episode you mentioned particularly is a good example of a law being on the book, even though it's a totally different society. That just just seems ridiculous. But getting into why we even have a law on the books for uh, Eugen- for the uh, Augments or um, the Illyrians in this case, we have examples. We have Khan. We have uh, 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 Ericsson's Augments. We have Bashir in the future. There's just a bunch of examples. We have Dow, a bunch of examples of Trek where we've challenged the notion of an augment being a part of a, a, a Star Trek society. Does that make any sense? And this is kind of piggybacking off of what Tasha mentioned earlier in her stream. Other than Khan, we, we have to admit Khan is the example of why <laughs> uh, we are we have fear over this, obviously. But after all this time, don't you think we should have laxed some of those rules once we see that, no, this society is not out there killing people. They actually just augmented themselves so they can live on this planet and not destroy the environment. It's not always that they're doing it to be better as far as physically stronger or smarter. They, they're they just doing it to survive on this planet. So 
the way I think that they were really brilliant in how they presented this was these were not people who, after Starfleet was there, said, hey, guess what? We're going to start argument, uh, augmenting ourselves. They were mm-hmm. already doing this, like you said, Clarence, yeah. to survive on this planet. Then here, here along comes Starfleet that says, hey, if you want to be part of us, you've got to stop doing this with no real thought as to why they're doing it in the first place. It's sort of like here, you know, I'm taking over now. If you want to, you know, be friends with me, you've got to do everything like I do. Maybe I need to ask first, why are you doing what you're doing to start with? That's what really, really stood out to me. And they definitely made points in this episode about how the Illyrians were separated that I thought they would never bring up. You know, oh, some they can pass as normal people and some their augments are more visible. So I really didn't think they would bring that up at all. But it was really surprising and really interesting to to see them bring that into the episode. Let's get into a little bit of what I call, well, I don't know if there's a word for it, but you have these people who are there to help, who are there to be a part of the change that we want. And I think in this case, you have Pike being the shining example of that. And even though he didn't say it vocally, I think April was kind of on the side of Una as well. But you have duty, law, rules of your organization versus what is right. Larry, how do you think that was portrayed in this episode, especially when it comes to our characters being between a rock and a hard place? Well, you know, I think Pike is a perfect shining example of an ally, somebody who will speak for other people. You know, Pike, it, it a little bit reminded me of To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, where mm. you have him, Atticus Finch goes in there for Tom Robinson. It was so great to see him just go, I know who you are. I know your character. I know what you've done. Yes, you did lie, but you had a reason to do it. And look at all the stuff you've accomplished, you know. And then, of course, the crew. The crew Mm. served with her. She has their loyalty and their admiration. They they, They don't care if she's Illyrian. They do not care. They just know that we can count on Una when we need to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love seeing the crew and especially Spock referencing that short trick uh, with him. That was good. I thought that the modern major general thing, I thought that was pretty darn cool. When they were questioning Robert April, I was like, oh, man, this dude is just trying to do right. And of course, this lawyer, which uh, this counsel, um, this counsel, Nira Cotel, her in this episode, just great Great acting, the kind of acting we've seen in in TNG with Patrick Stewart in Measure a Man and other drumhead, other episodes. Um, I was just eating it hook, line and sinker. And this actor just did an excellent job of portraying counsel slash friend uh, Yatid Badaki. I don't I'm not familiar with that actor, but just an excellent job of of portraying this counsel with this lawyer in this episode. Just really loved it. But for both of you, if you do, are not familiar with her work, she's in American Gods. Mm. And uh, she actually plays one of the African goddesses. Um, she is also, she's been on uh, quite a few things. I told Tasha in the chat, she's my pick for Storm. 
what an X-Men movie. But uh, yeah, she's an excellent actress. I knew I recognized her from somewhere. And I think it was from American Gods that I had seen her from. It. I just called her up and she has been in NCIS New Orleans, Criminal Minds, Lost, This Is Us, The Magicians, Army of Dead, Las Vegas. So yes, quite a bit of stuff. Yeah, she's essentially a civil rights lawyer for the Lyrian people. <laughs> uh, I thought it was really great. And and she's had this continued struggle to try to get her people recognized and, and allowed into Starfleet. And that's one of the things that Pike was able to use to to get her to be counsel for for Una. We pick up a comment from Win Grace real quick. We have Pike's knowledge of his own future. He knows he's kind of bulletproof up to a specific point. So he's freed up to go out on a limb in a way that might otherwise seem dangerous. I tend to forget that he knows his future. I don't know why, but does it make him bulletproof? Does it? Well, you know, they always say, no, I, I don't remember what show it's from. But the guy was like, you know, I can't tell you your future. He said, because then you might be reckless when you shouldn't be or you might be apprehensive when you should be bold. You know, that that kind of thing. But. I love Pike sitting in the office. It's like, you know, I ain't going nowhere. Yeah, I'm passing out. So what? You didn't care. I think you're immune to whatever it is, depending on who the prosecution is. Yeah. Oh, man. And then you have and we can just talk about any part of this episode. We, we find out that Una is the one that actually turned herself in. And it's really just a case of her tired of hiding she is willing to put herself on the line and obviously she's tired of lying to, to the people she love, but it's almost like she's doing it also for her people to kind of pave the way or open the door. I don't know if that happens in this episode. I don't think it does quite frankly, but she, she turns down a sweet little plea deal to go through this trial and possibly get up to 25 years. Pasalk tried to throw the book at her. Failure to disclose her genetic modification status. We are charging Una with knowingly submitting false information to Starfleet as well as violating Starfleet Code 614-617, preventing Starfleet officers from engaging in permanent bioengineering and two counts of sedition. We're seeking dishonorable dismissal and 20 years in a Federation penal colony. Yikes. Somebody had a spotless record. Yes. Hence, it goes back to... You know, as great as you want to make Starfleet out to be or anyone wants to make it out to be, it's still motivations. And we'll probably see this character again. I hope not. But the, you know, the guy that uh, that Spock was arguing with. That yeah, the furious dinner argument. Table. Yes, furious. furious. Yeah. You know, enough to apologize over. <laughs> but, uh, you know, is and I, I know I keep going back to that, but but I think that was an important part of this whole story of the way it was, was it's less about what the rule was, but who was trying and their motivations to enforce it. Now, Tasha just brought something up in the chat that I have to, I have to talk about. Those charges I just read to you, Starfleet officers from engaging in permanent bioengineering. So I wonder what the word permanent means there. Could that, could that be something as, that's going to play into the season? I will say this. Remember what last week, what they did. That mm. was bioengineering. It seemed like it when was. Chapel and Mbanga injected themselves. And even in 
episode one of the first season, that was bioengineering where they changed their mm. appearance so they could blend in when they went down to the planet. Mm, yeah. But it's not, it wasn't permanent. And speaking of changing their appearance, let me say this before I forget it. One of the lines that Una delivers when she says, I didn't want to hide who I was or something to that effect. I'm not saying it exactly right, but it is almost word for word the same thing that she said as Mystique in one of the X-Men movies. Yes, sir. That it was a scene that stood out because, number one, I love Alan Cummings, who played a night uh, nightcrawler. And when he says, you know, you can imitate the way they look and their voice. And, you know, she mimicked his voice. And he says, if you can look and sound like them all the time, why not just be like them all the time? And she said, because we shouldn't have to. Yeah. And and I guess X-Men in general is a good kind of allegory to what's going on here. Like, remember the one scene? There was another great one. It's, It's crazy that the same actress is playing those two roles when she confronts the senator and she says, people like you are the reason I was afraid to go to school as a child. Oh, man, we got some huge X-Men fans here. Oh, yeah, man. How do y'all remember this stuff? It's X-Men. <laughs> yeah, one of the conversations that Battelle, Captain Battelle had with Pike, I thought was really interesting. She said, I don't write the code. And my job, our job, then Pike says, our job <laughs> is to uphold it regardless. And this is crazy how... You know, you could get in that situation where you're trying to do the right thing, but you're bound by the rules of your organization. And again, you can't talk about how awesome it is that Pike is is willing to buck that trend and put it all. <laughs> I guess uh, he knows his future, but seemingly put it all on the line for Una. And, and that's interesting because we know we don't see Una in TOS. So I don't know if that equates to her being killed or somehow they come back and follow up the this law and put Thor in jail. We don't really know, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they actually play that out for the character. The weirdest thing was I feel like when when I heard Patel talking to Pike, it re- reminded me another movie, reminded me of Kevin Bacon in A Few Good Men. You know, mm. the way she was saying, look, I re- represent the Federation without passion or prejudice. And my client has a case. So she had to do what she had to do. Now, of course, uh, what's the dude's name? Who was the coke? Who was the admiral? Pasalk. Pasalk. Now, of course, he was going above and beyond. And and people missed a few say, well, he's Vulcan. No, I've got nothing to do with it. Vulcans can have compassion. He's one of those guys that's just by the, he's like a jellico. I'm by the letter (laughs) of the law. And I don't care what your senior circumstances are. The letter of the law is the law and the law shall be followed. Yeah, agreed. few production notes about the episode. We uh, this this courtroom was a redress of the the set in Discovery where they had the all the people in the galaxy meet to try to go to. The other galaxy is kind of the same set. Oh, it's Starfleet headquarters, wasn't it? Yeah, Starfleet. Yeah, Starfleet headquarters. headquarters. Uh, also, we have the little hand thingy where they kind of tell. I guess it's a lie detector. That's from TOS, and also the dress uniforms as well. I thought they were really sharp and, and spiffy. I really loved those. I did not love the original ones. What they did with those piggybacking on them, 
with yeah. the, the shoulder ranks. Ah, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and I, I know everyone didn't love it, but I really like the design of that that redress of that set. You know what? Some people got ill about that. Mm-hmm. Really? Well, <laughs> yes. They were all not. Well, you know, I thought it showed a little very lack that they didn't even try to dress it up more. That, bro, them sets cost a lot of money. Yeah. I ain't tearing nothing down. And then and this show was shot in Toronto with Discovery. And honestly, I probably wouldn't even... I probably couldn't even tell unless they told me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know it until I read and then saw, you know, people talking about it. So it was also the the bridge, I think, if I'm correct, of the Shinjo. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? It was a, re- yeah, it was a redress. Yeah, I Just did not like know that. The transporter room on the Shinjo and the transporter room on the Enterprise. Same thing. They just switch up. Oh, yeah. Stuff oh, and yeah. Make it, yeah. Same thing. Any other takeaways from this episode, from any of you guys, anything we haven't brought up that you want to cover, talk about. I will say real quick before I open up the floor to you, I do like the way that how the the council was able to spin the argument at the end. I just think the acting and the writing there was just so spot on. And I don't know why I didn't think they'd put Una on the stand, but they did. And I think it was the right move. Oh, I knew that was coming. That's just too much drama to miss. I, like I said, I will say that I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. No, number one, in the little corner of our picture there, I got to say, I always got to bring in the Tellerites, man. Yeah. We need more Tellerites, man. They're one of the founding members of the Federation, and they're still kicking it in the 32nd century, although yeah. they've got tusks, some of them. Cal, mm-hmm. any takeaways before we give our ratings? Mm, no, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I will say one moment that I found I liked, but it was a little odd, was at the end where right when the lawyer is about to beam out, they give her this clapping ovation, so to speak. That was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome, but it was kind of odd at the same moment. Did, I did loved you wanna, it. Did you want to say hokey? You was, I went, no, I, 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 it wasn't hokey. It wasn't cheesy because I liked it. I was trying to sit there and think, when have they ever clapped when somebody left? I, there's been people I've wanted to clap when they left, but... Not not in a good way, you know, but I just thought that was interesting. All right. What's the, what's the, what's the rating, sir? Oh, easily five. All right. That's a five for Mr. Jones there. Larry, what's your rating for this episode, sir? Oh, you know, it's a five. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to be right there with you, man. That's that's a five for me as well. It's in I've heard this said over and over, but it is one of my favorite episodes from Strange New Worlds. And oh, me too. It, it wasn't necessarily a high budget episode. You know, it was a lot of talky talk, but I'm here for it. I thought it was excellently done. You know, just seeing some of the scenes from from um, Starfleet Command, I thought was pretty cool as well. So we got some feedback from from Justin. I'll read it real quick. Uh, first, he says this episode was so good. It really hit us on so many things we face and it forced you to look at yourself in the mirror. Ten out of ten and top 20 of all time for me. What do you guys listening think about the episode? You can send in feedback to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us at DiscussingTrek in any and all social medias. We did have a Trek trivia last week, but I'll say we're going to hold it. We did get feedback from Harold, which answered it correctly. Uh, but we'll we'll get back to that next week when we have John back on the show to give us an answer and hit us with a new Trek trivia. And with that, we're going to end the show, guys. Thank you for joining And until next time, guys, live long and prosper.
Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.